What's going on, everybody? I am here for episode number 11 with my coach and mentor, Mr. John Meadows, who's been requested by a whole bunch of people. Um, even though I know a lot about John, there's a lot of things I don't and a lot of things I'm sure you guys will be interested in as well. So we're going to talk some bodybuilding, we're going to talk some life, and we're going to hopefully get some of John's uh, insight as to how to keep going strong in the bodybuilding world and life in general, because John has seemed to have uh, figured out the puzzle. So everybody, uh, John, why don't you say hello to everybody? Hi, everybody. Nice to be on here. You're, uh, you're kicking butt, man. I've been watching your shows, man. You're kicking butt. Honestly, they're, uh, I guess I'm a little numb on podcasts and I don't accept, expect them to be incredibly awesome, but yours are, yours are really cool, man. So glad to be here i uh honestly i've been pretty happy with the feedback and um i'm trying to bring something a little different you know i know you've been around for a while john and you've seen a lot that's gone gone on in the industry and i feel like there's a lot of voices in the fringe of bodybuilding that are kind of giving it a bad name so what i'm trying to do is bring the actual pros and the actual bodybuilders and the people that really make up the sport I'm trying to bring them to the public so that they can hear what bodybuilding really is instead of this, these fringe voices that don't really represent us. Yeah, man, you got that right. And like the last four, four years or so, it's, um, <laughs> it's amazing what people believe. And there's a continual cycle like of new people coming into the industry. So they hear these loud voices that you're talking about and they assume that's the norm and that's how it is. And it's like, no, that's not how it is. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's because there's a void to be filled. You know, a lot of pros are scared to talk about certain things, whether it be uh, PEDs or their own emotions or whatever. And I feel like if we're not going to talk about it, then there's nobody else for those people to turn to. So they turn to those fringe voices that are not representing us well. So I kind of feel like by doing this podcast and hopefully, hopefully making the people that come on comfortable enough to talk about stuff, it will allow the public to see who we really are instead of like these freak fringe people that don't really represent. Cause personally I feel like, okay, but to me, bodybuilding is a lot like politics. So you have crazy people on the left and crazy people on the right. And in the middle you have the majority of people that aren't crazy and they just kind of all want to just be happy. And I feel like in bodybuilding, it's the same thing. You have these crazy people that, you know, talk about all these crazy numbers of, you know, doses and what they're doing and all this nonsense. And, but the bulk of us just want to put on muscle and just want to have fun and just want to train. And I feel like the bulk of us are normal people that just love to train. So that's kind of what I'm trying to bring back to people, I guess. Yeah, so. man. I, um, anytime I'm, I have a chance to get involved in a training discussion, I just, I get happy because it, um, has kind of become, um, I don't know, a foregone conclusion or whatever. Like there's really not much thought into it. And back in the eighties and nineties, um, not to sound like the old guy, but we, our conversations were 90% around training. We'd love to train and, you know, you'd sit up all night, Friday night, just, you couldn't wait to get up Saturday morning Saturday morning was the big day. So Friday, you'd get a big meal to eat. You'd just sit there all wired up. You'd wake up Saturday, ready to go crazy. And, um, you know, there wasn't any discussions on overtraining or anything like that. It was, man, let's push. Let's push hard. Let's let's leave it all on the table. 
And, um, and I do think there still are a lot of people that, um, that do work hard, but that passion to your point gets kind of overridden by these other voices. And, uh, it doesn't matter how you train. doesn't matter how you eat. It's just all drugs and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I feel like, um, there's some of us that still feel the way the things, the things that you just mentioned, but I don't feel like it's talked about as prevalently in the bodybuilding world. Like when people for example, like if I post a video on Instagram, squatting like five plates, there's no excitement. It's kind of like, it's normal now. Nobody cares. They want to see some crazy exercise and there's no, I don't really feel like there's an excitement behind uh, training the way you're talking about. It's more, what are you eating? How much gear are you taking? All this kind of stuff. And I don't know, I don't know what that is. I don't know how we get that back, but I feel like people have lost some of the importance of how, like they've lost the thought process of how important training really is to the entire spectrum of your progress. Well, I think the best teacher is um, results. So for instance, if you go to the gym um, and you have somebody put you through a tough workout, like, you know, let's say somebody came to train with Dave Tate and I, a lot of the times what they would tell us is, man, I didn't know I was even capable of doing that. I had no idea yeah. I could do that. I had no idea I could push that hard. Yeah. And they didn't even, didn't even know. It's kind of like the old uh, diuretic story I tell people. The last time I took a diuretic was, was in 2002. I showed up in 2004 um, for the North American. You, actually, you were there. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Um, so I remember my coach took my diuretics and he threw them down. He put them in a toilet and flushed it. And that was the first <laughs> time I ever competed without them. And I was brought up old school. Like you have to take Lasix. If you're really hardcore, you take injectable Lasix. So I didn't know you could even compete without diuretics. Like I didn't even know that. And now yeah. I tell people, well, Sean Clarita won titles with me without diuretics. You yeah. won titles with me without diuretics. Josh yeah. Wade is, is doing really well. So it's possible. But the same thing applies for training. Like until you've trained with somebody who's put you like that, you just don't even know. Like people, they're – it's not that they, in some cases, they want to be lazy. They just don't even know. They haven't been through what you and I would think it's something that's actually really tough. And then you got to re repeat it yeah. over and like, okay, that's a whole nother level. I, I agree with that. It's, uh, it's like the saying is uh, everybody thinks they're working hard until they find somebody who actually is working hard. Exactly. It, once you meet that person, you're like, holy shit, I got another gear I didn't even know I had. So, but, and then you're also right in that's saying right. that, anybody can work like people come to work with me, right? Keep people come, people come to work out with me and I'm sure this has happened to you and they see if they can match you for a workout. And sometimes they'll get done. And they'll be like, yeah, well that wasn't that hard. And I feel like, okay, but it's not doing it once. It's doing it for 20 years. Do it, do <laughs> yeah. it like that for five years. Do it like that for 10 years. It's not anybody can gear up and take some extra caffeine and whatever and come in and crush one workout but can you get up for that every day? So that's kind of what, uh, I think the, the key is, but I wanted to talk to you about something that has always been on my mind because I feel like bodybuilding helps you grow as a person. And I'm always trying to figure out how to be a better person. And I watch you, even though you might not know it because, because <laughs> I see how you interact with people. And there is something I I've always noticed about people that you work with and people that know you they always feel like they're your best friend. 
And I don't know how to, how you did that. Like, how do you make all, how many you've, you've had up to 200 clients before, correct? Yes. So how do you make 200 clients all feel like they're your number one client? Well, first of all, unfortunately, they don't all feel like they're my best friend. <laughs> well, not from, not from what I've heard, but anyway, go on. Well, I think it comes down to, um, and this is, I think you probably know this about me. If this is a good thing and it's a bad thing. I take some of the stuff probably a little too, too personal. And I'll give you an example. Like I was really upset when Josh wasn't in the first call out this weekend. Um, it really upset me. I, I, um, I care about how people do. I want to see them do well. Yeah. And, um, I don't know how else to really explain it other than I genuinely care. I get really passionate about it. And, um, I, maybe that just comes across in my communication with them. I don't know if why, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the position to where I don't have to take clients. I haven't had to for many years. So it, it allows me to be a little bit more picky and it allows me to work with people that I think I have a good connection with. Yeah. And a lot of times I think it gets me into trouble because I, I have trouble letting stuff go. Um, and I get a little upset about it when there's other coaches that they'll just move on. Yeah. And, and honestly, sometimes I'm a little jealous of that. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just say, you know, whatever, but it's hard for me because I care about people and you put a lot into it with people and you're invested in them. You want to see them do well. And you know, it's, um, I, I, there's a lot of coaches out there like that. I have a lot of friends that are coaches that are like that too. Yeah. So, you know, when I had 200 clients, if you polled them, they would not say that about me. Maybe <laughs> there was a handful that did, but I don't think I was doing a good job. And, you know, I was doing well financially, but you got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. And when I looked at myself in the mirror and I had to ask myself, am I really doing the best I can? The answer is I probably am for some of them, but some of them probably need more. Mm -hmm. So I took a deliberate pay hit and I said, I'm going to cut my numbers way back. And I think probably three years ago, um, maybe even four years ago, I cut the numbers way back and the experience with people started to be more of what you're describing. It started to be better and better and better. Um, you know, so I, I kind of learned the hard way and it was the same thing um, flawed when I was at chase and I was working at the bank and I was coaching people. It was really hard. You know, I worked all day long and then I got home, I trained and then I got home and I have, I had 40 clients at the time. Mm -hmm. So then I had my second job and I knew like the people at chase thought I was doing great, but I knew in my heart I could do better. The people that were coaching that I was coaching seemed to be pretty happy, but I knew I could do better. So it was like, I got to make a decision. I got I want to be really good at something. So I left the corporate world and um, I started to do this stuff full time. And, you know, I, I love business stuff. So as my other businesses have grown, I've got my clientele down even more. Can I, so that I can. Sorry, John, can I interrupt you for one second? Cause we're, we skipped over some really important stuff. So I have a question for you as, as a bodybuilder, like, just as a, as a man, how do you go from, 
you worked at Chase Bank, and from what I know, you were pretty high up there, correct? Yes. So, well, relatively speaking. <laughs> relatively speaking. So, how do you go from like that's a really scary thing? You've basically gone from a senior executive position, probably getting paid very well, to you know what? I'm going to do this bodybuilding thing, and I'm going to coach a bunch of people. And you were competing at the time too. So you're still trying to turn pro at the time and you just kind of walked away from a lot of people would think you were crazy to walk from walk away from an executive position at a bank to coach bodybuilders. How do you, and you, and you had a wife and a family. So how do you make that jump? You know, such a big leap just based on passion. Well, it was tough. And it didn't happen overnight. And I had to do a lot of thinking and I had to figure out, I had to really think through the situation. It took me probably, I'm going to say three or four months. And here's, here's what my thought process was at the time. My thought process was what is it that's making this such a difficult decision? Why am I scared? And the immediate answer was financial. If I, if I quit working at the bank um, and this fitness thing doesn't work out. I have a mortgage and I have a family. That's right. That was my number one thing that worried me. Like yeah. if I don't, if I can't, that's what as a man, and you know, this is, you know, this as a man, you want to provide your number one thing is you want to provide for your family. That's 100%. number one. 100%. That's number one. Mm-hmm. So I, I identified pretty quickly what it was that was holding me back from making the decision. That was it. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. But then I had to put together a plan. Okay, well, what is what can I do to alleviate that? Like, how can I fix this? And I put together this plan in my head. I said, now, how can I jump out into this fitness world and be respected and have people want to work with me and so forth? Well, so I went and I got a couple really high level certifications, CSCS and CISSN. Mm-hmm. That credibility. So maybe the people who don't know me will at least give me some credit. I'm not a PhD, but at least they'll give me some credit that I have done some coursework. Yeah. Um, I had to have a website. I had to have some legitimacy to a business. Yeah. So I had my website built. And then um, I got those two things done. I said, okay, I have a home base now. That's what I always called it. I got to build my home base. That was the website. I got that. Um, and then I, it was like, okay, now I was. I had started selling programs in 2010 mm-hmm. into 2011. And what I listen to this, I don't, you probably don't know this. This mm-hmm. is what I used to do. Yeah. Every, every uh, Sunday I had a, I had a list beside me of all my clients and every Sunday I would email them individually their workout routines for the next week. Holy shit. Do you know how hard, hard, how yeah. long? <laughs> That's why I said, holy shit. That's a long process, man. That's what I used to do. So I said, I've got to organize this so that I can scale it. I can't sit and send out 200 emails every Sunday. That's right. So I had to think about how I was actually running my business. Like, how am I going to run my business so that it can function like a real business and not just some dude that's sending out emails on the weekend? Yeah. So I thought about that. And then, and then... So I got those things addressed and then there were two things left. So, okay. Going back to the financial thing, it was the house. Yeah. So, um, I had, I had, um, $200,000 in the bank at the time. And what I did was I was saving like crazy. 
Uh, Mary and I paid our cars off. We had no student loans. We had no credit card debt. So all the money that I made um, from those extra clients and also from work. And plus we were just renting her sister's house for $850 a month. Yeah. Um, and she was also working back then. So we saved and saved and saved and we saved up $200,000. Jeez. I owed $198,000 on the house. I still yeah. owed. Yeah. So I walked into Wells Fargo. I wired a payment to uh, Wells Fargo. I walked into Chase Branch and I wired a payment to Wells Fargo for 198000 bucks. Oh my God. <laughs> I walked out of the, I walked out of the bank with $2,000 for my name. But you had a house. But I had a house. That's right. So as hard as I worked for that $200,000, it was gone. But I had this incredible peace of mind. I remember, right. I remember walking out of that branch just smiling. I was so happy. Yeah. Because I knew that, of course, you got to pay your taxes. But I knew that no matter how bad it got, my family had a roof over their head. Yeah. So then the last thing was... I thought to myself, why didn't I think of this earlier? Everybody loves me at the bank. I can come back anytime I want. Why mm. am I making such a big deal out of this? Like they'll hire me back. I have a very unique skill set at the bank and they'll hire me back anytime I want. Yeah. So I gave them a 30 day notice. Now in the banking world, when you resign, it's a matter of hours before they walk you out the door. They yeah. want you out. Yeah. I worked all 30 days. My last day was April 13th, 2012. Yeah. April 11th was a Wednesday and it was my birthday. And I thought for sure they're going to give me cake and let me go home early. I worked all the way up to Friday at five o'clock. <laughs> uh, Can I ask, well, so, wait a minute though. I just want to say, this goes back to my point about you and the way you make people feel and the way you treat people. Because it's like you said, that bank would have threw your ass out, but you must have had a good relationship with every person in there or else there's no way you would have been there for the full 30 days. I, I never saw that happen ever in all my years at the bank. Okay, I never so, saw somebody do that. Okay. I just want to tell people listening, you're going to notice a theme throughout this hour because I've noticed it in my time that I've known John. This goes to everything in your life, in my opinion, that I've seen. You have a good relationship with people and you treat people the right way. And it seems to always come back to you. Because... If we look at, if, if kind of we took a scope of your life the way I know it, right? It took you a long time to turn pro and you've had some business dealings that have, haven't gone the right way, but somehow you always end up on your feet. So I'm like we'll, a cat. We'll, like a cat. That's right. Like a cat. <laughs> well, okay. We'll get into that more later, but I just want to say how, okay. So what, how do you feel about the show me world that we live in? Because you must have you must have been living on a real budget to be able to save $200,000. Like you didn't have any, you probably didn't have Jordans. You didn't have the Mercedes that you have now. How do you save $200,000? I can't even imagine. I can't save a thousand dollars. I don't Like, how did you do that? Well, man, we were living, like I said, our, our, our house payment was 150, dollars $850 a month, our rent. And we had like utilities, we had like cable. So you weren't going to, you weren't going out to expensive dinners. You weren't doing any of that. No, nothing. Nothing. No. Just, but you were still bodybuilding at the time. Yeah. Well that, I guess that's an expense in itself. Right. Um, but prop, I mean, but I had really, like I said, we had no credit card debt, no car payments, no student loans, no, no nothing. 
let me ask you this at any point during the $200,000 saving period. And at any point before you left the bank, did your wife stop you and go, are you nuts? No, you know why? Here's one of the things I will tell you that people keep trying to tell me. Um, everybody keeps telling me like, you don't understand that you are fairly popular and people tend to like you. And I still don't feel that way. I mean, I, I feel like I have good relationships with people, but I don't see myself as this guy that has a million followers that everybody like, like, like they're the mayor when they walk in. Like I just still see myself as some dude that's done pretty well. And I, I do have some good relationships, but yeah, Mary's like, even Mary was like, you can do this. Like you will be successful. Like as hard as you work, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I still had some doubts in my head, but my doubts were all pretty much of the financial part. I just wanted to make sure she was taken care of. My kids were taken care of, but. So through all of that, see, I feel like that's something that's lost on people is they don't understand that as hard as we work, I think without that support system, that, kind of give you that push to tell you they believe in you to kind of give you the nod to like, go ahead and go through with it. What you, could you say that you would still be, I asked Justin Compton this question and he, I think he answered it well, but do you think without, I mean, it's, I don't want to make, I don't want to say without Mary, but do you think Mary's influence has helped you along the way be stronger? Oh, no doubt, man. No doubt. Um, I mean, there's been, there's been instances along the path, you know, I always talk about sometimes things happen in your life and you don't know it at the time, but it has a big impact on your life. And you may not know it until five or 10 years down the road. And I have several stories um, I'd like to tell you about that. One of them was a kind of a mean, nasty girlfriend I had. Um, She was real mean to me. She, always telling me uh, I didn't make enough money to date her. She was a lawyer and her parents were doctors. And one day she came over to my apartment. This was when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, you know, we'll never be serious because you don't make enough money for me. And I thought this is a, mo- this is, I need to, this is the moment that John grows a backbone. Mm-hmm. So I told her to leave my apartment and I really liked her a lot. I really dug her. And I said to myself, don't ever talk to her again, ever. This is this. You got to prove to yourself that you have a backbone. And I didn't. She kept paging me. We had pagers back then. Right. And she kept paging <laughs> me, trying, trying to get a hold of me. And I never and I never talked to her. Uh, I never answered those messages or nothing. Yeah. And to this day, I still think that's the day I got a backbone. That's the day I said, you're not going to treat me like that. And there's been other cases in my life. There's other stories. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever told you the story about the show I won, but I lost overall to a middleweight when I was cheating like crazy on my diet. No, no. Um, and my coach, I'm, I'm standing outside in the parking lot with my best friend. Actually, it was the same girl at the time. She was my girlfriend back then. And um, my coach, Mike Matson, walks out. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? I didn't win the overall. I lost it by two points, but I still won my class. He walks out and he looks at me. And he's just got this intense look on his face, man. And I'm like, oh, boy, this isn't going to be good. And he said, I hope you're happy. You let yourself down. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. And he goes, you know, I know you well enough that I know you were cheating on your diet. You never would have lost that middleweight if you were in shape. And I know you know how to get in shape. 
And you know what? He was a hundred percent right. Yeah. And you know what I did? I hung my head and I apologized to him. Yeah. Yeah. It was the last time I ever cheated on my diet. Um, I've had cheat meals that were scheduled and I've had refeed meals. Yeah. 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 But for me to just go, you know what? Forget that chicken. I'm just going to eat some pork rinds and some coconut cream pie. Like I, I never did that again. Yeah. Like I was so embarrassed. That made such a, um, uh, and, and that was one of those moments where I could have just said, ah, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Mike, you're a jerk. But I took it to heart. I, that was a moment that made me a better bodybuilder just for Mike taking the 10 minutes to be honest with me. And to this day, Mike is still one of my best friends. Like that meant so much to me. It hurt my feelings at the time, but I knew he was right. Yeah. And I respect the hell out of him for being honest with me. It seems like a lot of your decisions are based on hard principles. Like you have, you're a very principled person. Like you have the kind of rules for yourself that don't let you waver too much. Do you feel like that's lost a little bit now? Like people are kind of too, cause you coach a lot of people. So you, you get a lot of different personalities. Do you feel like people don't have those strong principles anymore? Well, what I see the most is, um, maybe not necessarily from people I'm working with, but in general, I just see people who want it all. They want it now at any cost. And I understand that. I do understand that. If I was in my twenties and Kuwait called and said, we want you to come to Kuwait, forget your life. Just come over here and train, go back to room, eat, go to sleep. I would have done it because I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder so bad when I was in my twenties that it, it I, I mean, I just, I wanted it so bad. Yeah. Um, so I get it. I understand where these kids are coming from. I, I get it. I don't, I don't feel like I need to be putting them down and I'm not putting them down. I just want them to understand that it doesn't have to happen overnight. There's another path where you can be healthier. You're not going to have, you know, to get a kidney transplant or you're not going to have heart issues there's, there's another way that you can do this and be healthy. I don't know if healthy is the right word, but you can take care of yourself and not um, put yourself at a really high risk. So, you know, I, I see that. And then when it comes to principles, you know, there's this, there's this thing called moral relativity, Fwad, and people have morals to a point, um, but here's what they say. Well, it's not right for me, but anybody else, they can do it, whatever. And people don't really tend to have any morals. It's just a free for all. They say, they put it under this cloak of, well, it's not right. You know, I don't want to judge anybody. It's okay to judge things that you, that you, um, I don't, you know, this whole like child pornography. Yeah. Like, I can judge that. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's okay for you. It's, it's not okay for me, but it's okay for you. No. It's not okay. That's not yeah. cool. Yeah. And that's a extreme example. Yeah. But I think people have this moral relativism where they're afraid to take a stand on anything. They're afraid to have any beliefs. They're afraid to have any principles. They're afraid to hurt people's feelings. But I'm talking more about, um, I agree with you about that, but I'm talking more about your individual prince. I guess this is what I'm trying to say. Let's take your example about cheating. You just decided one day, I'm never going to feel like this again. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Right. You decided one day I'm going to save $200,000 and I'm going to pay off my house 
and then I can do whatever the, f- sorry, Mark, watch, my, <laughs> I'll try and watch my language. Um, and then I can do whatever I want. Yes. So those are hard principles. Like that's a, that's a decision. Like a lot of people make decisions, but they waver. Oh yeah. You mean like, <laughs> I'll give you one that annoys me when people go, go to shows and then they don't come back for finals. <laughs> mm. Oh, but yeah, I, they, when the, when the going gets tough, they just disappear. They fold. Yeah. And one of the things I always like to do when I was going to compete is I always told everybody, I'm going to compete at such and such show in 12 weeks. Yeah. Now that's just my own way of putting pressure on myself. Did you ever know me to back out of any show ever in my life? No, no, no never, never one time. Yeah. And when I make a decision, I know I'm going to follow through. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to follow through. And, um, and, and honestly, um, I never wanted to let people down that were supporting me either. Yeah. That, that really played into my bodybuilding because I figured if Fouad can drive six hours to help me with a posing routine, the least I can do is give it my all. If people are driving six hours to see me on stage, if people are literally flying in from all over the country to see me to Arnold and other shows through my life, I want to give, I want to give it everything I have. Like, I'm not going to be the guy up there on stage. It just looks like he's disinterested. He doesn't want to be there. Um, I never could understand that mentality with people. I just yeah. don't get it. Like, there's one, part, there's one part of you that should be pride. Like, your own pride. I'm going to do my best because I'm going to do my best. But then there was this other part that was like, people believe in you, man. People support you. Yeah. Like, you owe it to them to give it your best. So... You know, I may have never hit it perfect every time when I competed, but I was always in pretty good shape, I think. And okay. Okay. But let's, I'm sorry. I don't want to, I'm, I'm trying to get to a point here because I want to understand. I want people to understand because I feel like it's something very special that a lot of us, including myself, like you've known me, I've been wavering lately. Like there's been a couple shows I wanted to do and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I'll do it like last year, 20, 2018 was a horrible year for me. I think we plan to do three or four different shows. And I kind of kept backing out as like, I don't want about this one and that one. And I was embarrassed because I know you're a principled person. And I was embarrassed to tell you because I'm like, I'm sure I'm disappointing him on some level. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this, and I'm going to take the most extreme example you've given me because to me, it it blows my mind to save $200,000 or to compete at nationals or for a pro card. How many times? 12 times you did. 16 pro qualifiers. 16 yeah. pro qualifiers for getting your pro card. There, it takes a very strong-willed, a very principled person to say, I'm going to save this $200,000. Most people would get to 20 and be like, this is too much. It's overwhelming. The number is too high. I can't get there. Yeah. Or most people would reach their sixth pro qualifier and say, this is just too much for me. I can't deal with the losses anymore. I don't, how do you just keep going, man? Uh, this is what I'm trying to get to is how, how do you have the resolve to just believe in yourself no matter what the, the insurmountable goal ahead of you? Man, um, so you're making me think back to when I was young because a lot of things can be traced back to your childhood. Um, here's what I can tell you about. Let me tell you some stories about when I was young. So when I was in junior high school, we were allowed to have study halls, right? You get to 
junior high and you have study halls. Mm -hmm. I remember I wouldn't go to study hall. I had my gym teacher write me a pass so that I could go run laps around the gymnasium or go to the little weight room at the school and lift weights um, or go in there and do push-ups and sit-ups. Um, when I would get home from wrestling practice, um, I would my grandma would make me a bowl of uh, cornbread and milk. I would eat a big bowl of cornbread and milk, and I would go out and I would run for another hour. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I had all of the records for push-ups, sit-ups, rope jumps in 60 seconds, all that stuff. When I got to high school, I was in football, I was in track, um, I, I was in, I, I played baseball for a little while. I was a pole vaulter and I ran the 100 and 200 in track. Um, but when I was in high school, I remember my football coach, uh, the head football coach, he didn't like me. And the reason why he said that I was taking drugs. And he told one of the other coaches that who liked me, he told the other coach, he said, you need to find out what drugs he's taking and get him off the drugs. So this other coach comes up to me and he's like, John, I need to know what you're doing. Coach says that you're taking some drugs and he, you know, we're here. We want to help you out. And I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. I'm not taking any drugs. And the coach says, that's impossible. You just beat the entire football team. You ran the mile, you beat <laughs> the entire football team running the mile. Yeah. And then you went into the weight room right afterwards and you squatted 500 pounds and there's no way you physically can do that at your age naturally. And I said, actually, I'm very anti-steroid. I'm actually very anti-drug. And I was at the time, Yeah. but I'm not taking anything. And he never believed me. Um, the one coach I think did, but the other coach never believed me. Um, but even when I was that age, man, I just wanted to work. I wanted to work, man. I wanted to be there by the mile run. I wanted to out squat everybody. I didn't want to sit in study hall when I could be running or doing something to make myself better. I always had this um, desire from that really young age. And I didn't have a dad. Like, I don't know who my dad is. I heard he died when he was in his 40s. Um, so I can't say that I got it from a parent or nobody pushed me. My grandmother raised me. Yeah. And my grandmother was a cook in a restaurant. She wasn't like telling me to go out and run or go lift weights. There was something flawed that I think was really weird in me that I was kind of born with that. I don't know that I've met too many people in my life that have that, but it hit me at, at a really young age. I feel bad when people post all these pics where they were real small, then they got real big. Yeah. I'm like, well, I started training when I was 12, so I don't have this little before picture. Because <laughs> I can't throw that the little goofy picture up because I was already training my butt off and I competed when I was 13 years old. Like I remember when I was um, 13, the they had it was age it was age 15 and 16 was one teenage class, or 15 to 17, and then it was 18 to 19. The winners then went to the overall, and then one year in Ohio they expanded the 15 to 17 class to 13 to 17. Dude, okay. you have seen me. I was like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> so I read all the magazines. I tried to learn how to get ready for the show from reading the magazines. I competed when I was 13 years old. I got fourth out of four people. Um, and then when I was 14, I did a show, the Teenage Mr. Cincinnati, and I got eighth out of nine people. And I remember I was ecstatic that I beat somebody. I didn't get last place. That was that was a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, I got eighth out of nine. I actually still have some pictures. Um, and then I had a show when I was like 15 where I got fourth out of seven. I barely missed third place where you got your trophies. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually I won the teenage title and I, I beat some really good kids. Um, and it was fun, but I guess my point 
and I'm trying to answer your question. I know it seems like I'm getting off track, but ever since I was really, really young, man, I had that thing in me that I was going to work and work and work. And I didn't really take no for an answer. You know, it was, it wasn't something that happened to me like in the last five years, it's been there my entire life. Yeah. I, um, I did a podcast with Alvin Brown, who is, uh, was kind of like a life coach and physical therapist for me. And he said, I think what he was saying, I'm going to paraphrase, but he was saying, you know, work like you're work, like you're already making a million dollars so that when you are making a million dollars, it doesn't seem like work. It's kind of like, so that's kind of, I feel like what you're getting at is you're already, you're already giving it everything you could from that age. Now, the question I have though is that you haven't really answered and I, and I will leave it alone after this, but I just want to ask, was there not any doubts along the way when you were creating these massive goals for yourself? Well, the bodybuilding world, there certainly was tons of doubts. There was, I did a 99 USA, 1999, um, 20 years ago, and I got fourth place. And I was like, well, shoot, this is going to be easy. I'll have a pro card before I know it. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing, but just thinking, <laughs> just thinking about, <laughs> I know that, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know that feeling. I'll tell you my story after, but um, it's, it's crazy to think in 99, you're like, I'm going to get a pro card. It took you another 15 years yeah. to, I'm sorry, go on, go on with your story. I just couldn't help. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I come back in 2000 and I'm better. And I'm yeah. like, this is between me and Tavita. This guy's name was Tavita. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually beside him in the lineup and I'm thinking I'm beating him in every pose. But anyways, I, I got ahead of myself before that we had to weigh in back then they called the classes and you got in line and you weighed in and you got to see what everybody looked like. So they call heavyweights. So I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm taking Davida down. I went in the USA and I'm coming home a pro. That yeah. was my mindset. So I look in front of me and I'm like, man, this dude's a beast. I don't know who this dude is. And then I get a little better look at him. and I'm like, he's crushing me. I'm already down to second place. It was branch Warren. No way. No way. So, and then I'm like, well, I'm already down to second place. So I look behind me and I see uh, Troy Alves. That was the first time Troy had been really chiseled. He was kind of um, criticized for having a soft lower body. Yeah. But Troy was pretty chiseled for that show. Yeah. And he looked amazing. And I'm standing looking at him. I'm like, I haven't even got on stage yet. I'm already down to third place. Mm -hmm. Um. So I ended up getting in the first call out, but I ended up actually getting eighth out of eight people in the first call out. Um, that lineup was unbelievable. That was a crazy lineup. Um, yeah. And then um, two years later, I came back to the nationals. I thought I looked great. I was in a second call out, but I did beat Sean Roden. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've beaten Sean Roden as well. So we both, <laughs> you and I, we're the uncrowned Mr. Olympia. That's right. If you talk about bodybuilding math, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so I beat him, and he beat him, and he beat him. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So anyways, long story short, I kept thinking I like, I think I got it and, and I, and I didn't. And, um, then I, then I had a couple years where I actually drifted off into the third call outs. And, and that's when I was like, okay, I just don't have the structure. I may have the work ethic, but I just don't have the structure to be a pro. And I was pretty convinced that it was pretty much over. Um, and then in, 
2005 is when I got sick and it's when I lost my colon. And then I was definitely sure it was over. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, it's kind of funny how it all played out. I had um, diastasis recti. That's when your abs kind of pull away from each other. Yeah, yeah. I had it from all the surgeries I'd had. I had um, so many surgeries that I started getting incisional hernias and the linea alba and the, and the uh, fascia tissue kind of melted. Mm-hmm. So my abs were going apart and I got a surgery. Dr. Serrano hooked me up with this guy who could do special surgeries and he sewed my abs together. And I was like, you know what? I just want to see what I would look like if I got in shape with my abs. Like I just want to see what it look, would look like. I didn't have any intentions on getting a pro card. Yeah. I was just like, let me just get in shape and see what this looks like. So I did a local show actually um, in Kentucky. It was kind of a regional show and I actually lost the overall. I won my class, but I lost the overall, but I was super happy. I was like, you know what? All things considered, I don't look too bad. And, um, and then a couple more years went by and my muscles just kept getting like that dense, hard texture to it. And I was like, you know, that might look pretty good on stage. I might actually be competitive. Um, I, I had a good year in 2011. I gained a lot of muscle in 2012. I got second place at Masters Nationals. And that's when I was like, okay, I, I can, I can do this. Um, so <clears throat> at the time there were some people saying, well, John, you, you might be a good masters competitor, but you can't compete with the young guys. Well, I didn't believe that. So I went and I did the 2014 open nationals in Miami and, and, and I had a very specific plan. I knew that they were kind of going with young guys at the time. Um, but I figured if I make the first call out of nationals, then when it comes time for the team, you, they're going to say, Oh, he's not just a good masters guy. That dude was first call out of nationals. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and I got first call out of nationals. And then when the team, you came, it, it, the plan worked perfectly, but yeah. you know, and then as you know, I jumped straight into pro shows and I placed in my first three pro shows I did. Um, and you know, I felt like I was, I was going to be competitive, but to answer your question, Oh my God, man, I, I mean, the last time I've, I can only thought, I can only think of two shows that I did where I thought I'm going to win this. The team universe was one of them. But other than that, it was that 2000 USA where I got eighth. That's the only show that I thought I'm winning this man. So, you got, always, so you, what you're saying is when it comes to bodybuilding anyway, you've always kind of had doubts, but you just push through. Just push through. I mean, like do your best and see where the cards lay because what happens is you never know who's going to show up. You might look great. But there might be 10 guys look better than you. You may look great, but then the other competitors are off. So you might place higher. You just don't know who's going to show up. So I remember early in my career, I used to, you know, because you pretty much used to know back then who the guys coming were. Yeah. Like, because they gave out so few pro cards, you knew who was coming. Yeah. I knew who was going to be. I knew it was going to be Tavita, Troy Alves, uh, Abbas Katami. Like, I knew who was coming. Yeah. We all, Gus Carter, we, we knew who was coming. Um, so you just did the best you could and you, you know, you kind of looked at all those guys and, but then at some point I just said, forget everybody else, man. I'm just going to focus on myself and show up and see what happens. So at some point I quit worrying about who all the people were that were doing the show. And I just, just focused on myself. And, um, I try to tell people that now, you know, you can't really worry about all the other guys coming, just focus on being the best you can be. And, um, but for sure, man, I had a lot of doubts, but 
I said, I'm going to go out on my own terms when I'm ready to go. When I'm, when it's, when my body starts going backwards is when I'm going to get out of it. Yeah. And I don't really think my body went backwards. So that's kind of what kept me in the game is I had a couple of high placings where they dangled a carrot. Oh, Hey, look, John, here's a second place. Oh, here's yeah. another. Second place. <laughs> oh, and just, and just in case that went enough, here's another second place. I've been through that too. Um, yeah. So I have a question for you because I want to, I guess I have one more bodybuilding question and then I have a, I have a business question, but I want to touch on the bodybuilding question first. Cause I know you told me before it was like your ultimate goal. So you competed at the Arnold classic in 2016. Yes. You told me competing at the Arnold's was your dream since you were a little boy. Yes. What is that like? Because I competed at the Olympia, but my dream was never, I was never, my dream was never to be a bodybuilder. This kind of just happened. So what is it like to think about something from the time you're a kid and then have it kind of materialize? Um, I put, I put everything I had into that show. I, um, you know, you look back and kind of analyze what could I have done different? I put everything I had into that show. Um, you and I used to talk and laugh about all I, how all we were eating was egg whites and ketchup, and it was true. <laughs> uh, I mean, somebody asked me about that the other day because I think me and you were joking about it, and someone's like, and somebody took it seriously, but it is kind of serious. We were just on like egg whites and ketchup pretty much for like sixteen weeks or twelve weeks. But yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Carry on. Carry on. So I, I put everything I had into it, and when if you remember when the initial list came out, I wasn't on it. Yeah. And I was really disappointed because I felt like the prior year I could only, there was only three pro shows left other than the Olympia. I did all three and I placed in all three. Yeah. And so I was really disappointed. And then um, I found out that they thought I was applying for the open. And I was like, no, I'm applying for the 212. So, so they let me in the 212 and I put everything I had into that prep, man. Um, I dieted the hardest I've ever dieted. I trained to the point where I felt like I was going to be unconscious. Um, you came down and we worked on my posing routine. And to this day, everybody says there's never that that was the routine, the, one of the best routines they've ever seen. That was straight from you helping me. So I put everything I had into it. And when I got to the show, um, what happened, I remember we were backstage. We were like in this other room and they had us at the Arnold Classic. We were in the expo for prejudging. And I was feeling really good about how I looked. I thought I was in really good shape. And they brought us backstage and they were like, you need, you're going to be on stage in 10 minutes. So we didn't have any time to pump up or anything. It was kind of a rush, a rush job. But having said that, I'm not blind. And I could see that most of the guys were considerably softer than I was. So I was very very much thinking I'm definitely in the first call out and I can't wait to see how I look next to these other guys. I know they've all won pro shows and I haven't, but I think when I get compared against them, I'm going to more than hold my own. Mm -hmm. So it didn't work out. They didn't even look at me. I got put on the side and they never really looked at me. So when I left prejudging, the big dream I had was kind of shattered. I felt like I had put everything I had into that and I at least wanted them to look at me. I at least wanted him to look at me and um, I was really disappointed. And then um, I came back for finals and I have two aunts left on my side of the family. Everybody else has died. 
my two aunts, now you, you got to realize my two aunts are from my little halt, small hometown. They, they, they're scared to drive outside of there. Yeah. You know, Columbus for them is like New York city would be yeah. for me. Yeah. So my aunts were there who I loved to death. I had friends that had flown there from all over the country that I had people literally tell me I'm flying to Columbus to see that show just because you're in it. Yeah. Um, and when I was standing on the side, getting ready to go out and pose, I started to like cry. I got like super emotional yeah. and the expediter comes over and he said, man, just take a couple deep breaths. You look awesome. I guarantee the crowd's going to love you. Just, just breathe. Yeah. I was trying to calm myself down and the music started and I, and I, when I went out, I realized the timing was already off because I didn't realize how far I'd have to walk. Yeah. So immediately I shifted into the, okay, get the routine down, find a beat that, you know, find a beat that, you know, and just catch up. Yeah. 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 So then once I did that, I was cool and yeah. I could hear the crowd really, really cheering. And, it, and every time I hit a pose when they cheered, I felt better. Yeah. I felt better. And every, and I'm sure you've had this. Every time they cheer, you feel better. You get more confident. And then when I was done, um, from what I heard, like everybody says, that's one of the loudest ovations they've ever heard at that show. Yeah. So that made me feel really good. So that, like, that was the culminate. I would like to have placed in that show, but for my aunts to be there, for my kids to be there, all my friends were there, like my, like, all my friends were there. I had a lot of people there. So for me to be able to do that with all those people there on that big of a stage was absolutely everything I thought it would be. Um, it was unbelievable. And it um, checked off a huge box, a huge yeah. goal for my life. I, uh, you know, it's hard for me sometimes when I watch and I, cause I, like I'm a fan of the sport and I see shows come and go and I hear, fans talk about oh this guy sucked and that guy sucked and this guy didn't place and this guy was seventh and this guy was the and they and it's very flippant and i don't blame them they don't they don't understand but what you just expressed about the show like some kid somewhere must have been like oh john took last who cares or whatever whatever you placed i don't remember what you placed at the show but um they don't understand how much of of it is emotional. Like you're talking about standing there crying before going out. Nobody knew that. I didn't know that. And, um, it's very hard for me to watch someone. Like I saw somebody comment today, something about Nathan Diasha being outside the top six at the Olympia. And they were saying it in a negative way. And I'm like, do you realize what you're saying? I'm like, if he's seventh place in the Olympia, that means he's seventh place in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. There's 8 billion people on earth and that guy's seventh. Yeah. And you're talking about it like it's some flippant, like he's yeah. shit, like he's crap. He's not. And I feel like people just don't understand the amount of emotion, not just the amount of work. Everybody knows there's work and there's training and there's dieting. And I feel like people don't understand there's an emotional aspect that comes with it, that it's, and I don't mean to sound like a, a weak person, but I feel like people should respect the effort that goes into getting shredded and standing on a stage like the Arnold stage instead of being so flippant like anybody who didn't win is not worth talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I guess, I guess people need to hear more stories about 
how much just being on the stage means so they can understand that even though this guy might have took fifth or sixth or seventh or whatever, this was his the culmination of his entire bodybuilding career. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a big deal. It was a very big deal, man. And I put like, I put everything I had into it, man. I, um, I, I was getting up and doing my cardio real early in the morning. Um, I would get done and I would, I was taking my kids to school and I would turn the, the car seat. I'd turn the heater on so I would sweat more. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, so, man. You know, that doesn't do anything. <laughs> I know, but I just figure if I get real hot, it might increase my uh, temperature a little bit. So my energy expenditure might go up a little bit. Um, I, I would want, take my kids to school, come back, eat, and then like try to get, okay, now you got to go to the gym. And then I would train, I'd come home from the gym, and then that's when the battle started. That's when, you know, how you're fatigued and you're tired. That's when it would start. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a couple more life questions, and then I want to see if we, if we have time. We'll get into a couple just X's and O's because I'm sure people want to pick your brain a bit, or I might just have to bring you on again, but there is a pressing question I want to ask you. So it seems like you've had a lot of struggles in bodybuilding. And then after bodybuilding, you decided to start a supplement company or get involved with a supplement company. And from there, now you own granite supplements. Now I skipped over a whole bunch of stuff and I'm going to let you uh, talk about what you want to talk about, but there was some uh, setbacks there, just like there was in your bodybuilding career. And somehow you find a way to just keep pushing through. And even in starting your own supplement company, there's setbacks and you find a way to keep pushing through until you're kind of landing on your feet again. So maybe yeah. you can talk about, again, how do you just keep going through these, just jumping over hurdle after hurdle until you, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, that was tough. That was tough because I started a supplement company based on, I've always loved supplements, number one. Like I have wasted more money on supplements. Um, probably 90% of it was wasted and 10% was actually good. Yeah. But I figured out what the 10% was and I liked it. And I was in a situation with a company that didn't work out. And, um, I just said, I want to do this myself. I know what I like. I feel like I know what can really help people. I just want to do it myself. And I dove in and I had a really good first year in terms of the amount of revenue we did. We did, we had an awesome first year and, um, we, um, then our second year was tough, man. We, um, I, I made some major mistakes. I hired, uh, I basically hired everybody based on their experience. And um, that turned out to not be, a, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, um, but it turned out to be the absolute worst thing I could do. Um, some of the people we hired, just point blank, I don't mind sharing it, didn't do any work. Some of them stole money from us. Um, setback after setback. And we were on the brink of um, crashing and burning. And we cleaned house. Uh, we changed our hiring philosophy. We said, we're going to bring in good people. That's it. Yeah. If they don't have experience, that's fine. But I'm going to have good people in my company, number one. Yeah, yeah. So we brought in good people. A couple of new investors came in um, who were really, really sharp. Probably two of the smartest business guys that I've ever met in my life. 
Um, not probably, they are for sure. Um, so these guys brought some talent that I don't have um, that I really needed. And we changed our philosophy um, in hiring. We've got good people. Um, I mean, we had, you know, salespeople selling stuff to people I told them not to sell to. They were then putting it on Amazon and eBay. And yeah. I'm still kind of fighting some of those battles. We, it was, I don't want to bore all your listeners, but it was challenging. But now the last six months, actually probably like the last nine months, we've turned it around and things are going great. Uh, last month was the best month we've ever had. This month we're on track to do even significantly better than last month. So everything is trending really well now. Um, I've got a great team of people I work with. I trust all of them completely. Um, but it was, I, for about a year, I woke up every day really frustrated. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. Like I, there's so many things that are wrong. I don't know how we can fix it. Yeah. I didn't really see any light at the end of the tunnel, but luckily we kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting. And now it's turning around and it's a tough business. Like people who think they're going to get in the supplement business and just get rich. It's a tough business, man, because you can, if you have a lot of popularity, it can get you started. It can get you off the ground, but then maintaining a business and growing it is a whole nother skill set. There's yeah. a whole nother level uh, that to go to from there. So I see a lot of these, you know, these guys like, well, I have all the followers so I can make a lot of money. I'm like, well, that'll get you a better start than if you don't have the followers, but it's not going to keep all those people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're doing really good now, but it was one, honestly, honestly, man, that second year was one of the most, wasn't one of the most, it was probably the most mentally stressful um, business year I've ever had. How does um, it, Sorry to interrupt you. I'm just curious because this is always something I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to see this. How does it feel like, okay, I have a friend, uh, you know, Dorian Hamilton, he just opened yeah. his own gym. And I just, I just finished telling him the other morning, we were talking on the phone and I said, you know what, man, I'm really proud of you. Uh, it's gotta be an amazing feeling to wake up in the morning and go to your own gym and work out in your own place. And I kind of feel the same way about this. It's kind of like, you know what? you've been a bodybuilder all your life and now you have your own supplement company that you believe in. Like, how does that feel to have your own thing that you no longer, no longer have to look around at, you know, some of these guys are just business guys or just numbers guys. They have no passion in bodybuilding. When I see people like you or like Jason Ha or like Seth Ferrosi or any of the bodybuilders that are actual bodybuilders that start their own company, it always makes me happy to see that. Yeah. So how does it feel being like in control of your own, you know, you're representing this brand now. You're no longer representing some other company's brand as a sponsored athlete. This is your thing and you believe in it. So how does that feel to be able to give that to people with a hundred percent belief? I love it. I love it. Um, I love it for several reasons. I, uh, there's not a lot of money to be made in traditional bodybuilding. Um, there's a lot more now to be made than years past. Um, but I love it because there's things that I think I've done that have opened the doors for other bodybuilders business wise. Um, you know, you had your Labradas and Gasparis do really well with their companies. Those were kind of the two guys I look to like, wow, those guys, there was, if you really think about it, there have been a ton of bodybuilders that started their own companies and a lot of them didn't make it. Yeah. But Labradas did. And it, his, his company has stood the test of time. 
Yeah. And if you know Lee, he's first and foremost, he's a good principled guy. Yeah. He's a good guy, man. He really is. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if I can in some way people, it's cool. Like it's cool that I have my own thing. That's cool. But there's a lot more to it than that. That my, my thing now has, is more about leaving a legacy. Like I want to leave a legacy, man. I want people to go, Hey, I knew I want people to tell my kids, Hey, I knew your dad, man. He was an awesome dude. Like he was really good to people. That's what's really important to me in this yeah. phase of my life. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I have my own company. That's cool. But it's more of, I get to leave a good, good legacy. Other bodybuilders get to see, Hey, you know, I started a membership website, um, nine years ago and yeah. now, and now tons of bodybuilders have membership websites yeah. and, and I like it because I, you know, you might think I wouldn't like it, but I do like it because I was the guy, I was the, I was the guy, the first guy that did a bodybuilding specific member website. Yeah. So now you see all these other guys that have websites and I feel like I kind of paved the way for that. Um, almost every one of those other guys were at one time a member on my website. I, I see all the signups. I watch it all. Um, so it's cool. It's cool. Like I think I've been able to set and it's nice because you can kind of say what you want and you don't have to worry about repercussions. Like, well, if I, if I hurt somebody's feelings and when I go to a show, they're going to place me two or three places. I don't care about that stuff because yeah. I don't depend on, I don't, I'm not dependent on a placing. So I feel like I have some freedom too that I wish other bodybuilders had because I know a lot of bodybuilders have certain thoughts about certain things and they'll never say anything. They're too scared of offending somebody. Yeah. So it's a nice position to be in. It's nice to be able to leave a legacy. It's nice to be able to show these guys you can, you can um, start your own business. You can, but it's not easy, man. It's not, it's not easy. I can imagine. A lot of people are like, man, you've done so well in bodybuilding. Like, how can I do it? And the first thing I tell them was you got to realize the first at least 25 years, I didn't make a penny. Yeah. So how do, how do you feel about that? The <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody wants to wait, man. Like, Nobody Ooh, I didn't, wait. I don't know about that. I yeah. might be able to go for two months and not make any money, but 25 years. Yeah. I, um, I just saw today on your Instagram that you finally hit 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm just under 30,000 because I, I haven't paid a lot of attention to it and it's a lot of work. I mean, you said in your caption that you put out four or five videos a week and I know you have somebody helping you, but it doesn't matter. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of content to be putting together and to give back to people. Um, but my question is, you seem to be able to keep reinventing yourself. You know, I mean, most people would just like the common question I always got from the average person as a bodybuilder was, what are you going to do when you stop competing? As if like the world's just going to stop. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I never really had an answer, but somehow you kind of figure it out. And then, when I look to your career, I'm like, you've kind of just always had something, you know, it was whether it was, you know, you were doing, like I said, you had 200 clients for coaching. Uh, you do a lot of seminars, you have a membership website. Now you're doing like a really big push on YouTube. It's like, you've always been able to stay with the times. I mean, you've been bodybuilding since the eighties, but watching YouTube videos, you would never know. You'd be like, you just came about now. Yeah. You're still, right. you're still trending with the times. You know what I'm saying? Well, what's interesting is um, when I go places and I meet people and I have people approach me, the conversations always used to be, Oh, John, I hope you get your pro card, you know, or Hey, when's your next contest? Yeah. 
Um, now, almost every single comment I get is, I watch your YouTube. I love your videos. Yeah. Almost every time. Yeah. I very rarely have anybody ask me when I run into people now, very rarely does anybody go, hey, when's your next show? At least nine times out of ten, it's I love I love watching your videos. They don't even does, know my name. They call me Mountain Dog. They they won't even go hi John. They'll go hey Mountain Dog. <laughs> okay, but wait a minute. Does that you're a bodybuilder at heart? So does that bother you that now you're a YouTuber and not a bodybuilder? Not really, because I'm I am bodybuilding on the channel. I am training hard, and they get to see it. So I'm yeah. not doing a bunch of dumb stuff um, just to get views. Like I have. I don't even know how many workouts I have on there, but I have a lot. I know. I keep seeing them come up because I subscribe to your channel. So they're constantly coming up. And I'm like, if anybody can't figure out how to put together a program just from watching this channel, they are they just have no clue. I know. I you mean, could literally, you could literally put together an entire program. Oh, yeah. And a diet just from watching your channel. You could do it. You could put together a program that will last you for a year at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I like it because – Number one, it means all the work I'm putting into it's paying off. Yeah. So I'm not wasting my time, number one. But um, I, don't, I didn't want to always compete to, for that. I didn't want to rely on competing to keep me relevant. Yeah. So I haven't competed for two years now. And I would say that I have, I'm still as relevant, if not more relevant, than I was two years ago. I agree. And as a business person, I always tried to think long term. I'm very fortunate because like Dave Tate, uh, Mike Clay, the guy that owns Best Bar, those are my two business mentors, and both of them have always told me, "Be ahead of the times. Don't don't ever get reliant on one source of income, and be ahead of the time. Like if you see something you think will be good, a good opportunity for you to do well business wise, go for it. Just go for it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but just go for it. So anytime in the past through these years, if I felt like you know what this isn't doing as well, I'll focus on something else. Yeah. And, and then, you know, a couple years ago, I thought, what am I doing with my YouTube, man? I'm not doing anything on it. That is a great vehicle for, um, for, your, for all your businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the demographic that watches, you know, you would think it's all young kids, but all the way up to the age of 46 watch more YouTube than they watch actual TV. Yeah. So this isn't just to appeal to kids. This is appealing to guys in their 30s, guys in their 40s. Um, it's a great vehicle to get your information out there to get people to know what you offer. So, you know, rather than be one of the old guys that says all oh, these kids are terrible, they don't know anything. I just said, no, man, I'm going to jump into this game myself and I'm going to, you know, and it's just been, I never had a video like really hit it. Yeah. So it's just been steady, just like my career in bodybuilding was. I've had to grind and grind and grind and grind. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> And that's what it's been. It's been yeah. four, like you said, four or five videos every single week for two years. I don't know anybody else that's putting out content like that unless they're just rehashing other stories. Yeah. But yeah. to actually create their own stuff that often, yeah. Um, man, it takes a lot of work. Um, but it's paying off, and now it's starting to pick up some really good momentum. So yeah. Um, um I have a I had a question because I'm getting a little older myself. There's always, actually, I always wonder about this. I always want to ask you about it. I know like some of your biggest lifts that you've talked about, like say, for example, like for those of you who don't know, John has squatted five plates for 25 reps. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say they're rock bottom, but it I doesn't did, matter. Um, I, I want to say that was 1996. Okay. So regardless of the time, 
the point I'm trying to make is you were known for being pretty strong and pretty insane in the gym. Yep. How does it feel at 46 not being able to do the things you know you could have, you used to do on a regular basis? Because I'm struggling, like personally, like I struggle with that all the time. People tell me like, oh, you're hurting yourself. You need to change your training. They don't realize how much I already have changed my training. And I struggle with the fact that I used to be able to, like in the gym, I used to be an animal. And now I'm not that, I can't lift the way I used to lift. And uh, how do you, one, is training still fun for you if you can't do those things? And two, does it bother you mentally at all? Oh boy, (laughs) that's a great question. So when I was um, getting ready for the 2012 Masters Nationals, on Wednesday before that show, I trained my legs and I squatted 405 for 20 reps. Um, <laughs> Wednesday before the Saturday show. Yeah. That's and the only, reason I, the only reason I stopped is because I was afraid I was going to hurt myself. Uh, yeah. I was afraid I was going to pull something. Um, I was really strong when I was 40, 41. When I turned 42, headed into 43, all of a sudden things started to hurt. Like if I did that squat workout, it would feel okay. But then the next day when I woke up, it was hard to walk for a day or two because my back hurt so bad. Yeah. Um, pulling a deadlift. I can do it, but the next day my back hurt so bad. It, I just was, wasn't even able to function. Now you got to realize squats have all my life been my favorite exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was always like the little junior version of Tom Platts. I just love squats. Yeah. So when that was taken away from me, it hurt. And not only that, then my chest strength started going down. I used to do 315 for 15 on the incline. Yeah. Then that started going down. And that's my second favorite exercise. Yeah. Um, I enjoy rack pulls. Now I can't do rack pulls with more than three or four plates or else my lower back will hurt so bad I can't take it. Mm. So I've watched all my favorite lifts. Like I can't do them anymore. Um, yeah. So I've had to find ways to work around it. Like on the squats, I might use a spider bar. The bar is not sitting right on my spine. So I'm, I'm decent. I'm, I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, so I've had to find ways to work around it. But for a couple years, it was really, really, really frustrating and hard for me. Yeah. Um, and then I'm looking on YouTube or um, I'm sorry, I'm looking on Instagram and I'm watching what Jordan Peters is doing and I'm watching what all these guys are doing and I'm mad. I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And it just makes me matter and matter and matter. And then, um, but I just can't do it. And then I think to myself, you know, look at the guys who were really good who trained with that style and they didn't change. They end up tearing their body up. Yeah. You know, like Ronnie Coleman, you know, Ronnie's the best bodybuilder of all time, but he never really adapted. And so I'm sure that had a negative impact on his body. Um, and I just thought, uh, I just don't want to hurt myself, man. I got kids. I want to be able to move around. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be in that position where I'm nearly crippled. Yeah. So I've had to adjust my training style. And the thing is, is that I still love to go crazy. The last month, actually, I've been just busting my butt the last month, man. I mean, yeah. I've been working hard. I've yeah, been yeah. really pushing hard. Yeah. And I don't have any shows or anything. I just love it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's the, uh, the common misconception is people are always asking me, 
what motivates you and what makes you go to the gym and what does it. And I'm like, I just want to. They, I just, uh, I don't think they get it that you just want to, you just want to like, I don't want to sit at home. I miss when I can't go to the gym. So I think that's the thing people don't understand. And that's, I think that's kind of what you're talking about is right now you're feeling really good because you, you love being there. Yeah, I've been going hard, man. And I love it. And can I go as hard as I used to? No, but I can still go really hard. I yeah. can still load up a hack squat with, you know, six plates and, and, <laughs> and go rock bottom and do my reps and then walk over and do another exercise. And I mean, I can still really push myself hard. So I think that's the feeling I really liked. And I think going back to our, you know, our discussion about when I was a little kid, I think that's what I really like. It's just knowing that I'm pushing myself. Yeah. Um, and I, I think actually flawed, I think if I dig into it a little deeper, there was always a thing that went around, went through my head when I was young too, that I didn't want to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to be an average person. I wanted to do stuff that I didn't think other people could do. And I took a lot of pride in the fact that um, a lot of the training I used to do when I was at my peak, I don't think people could, could keep up with me. Yeah. Strength wise they might, but intensity, I don't think there's too many people that could have kept up with me um, the way that I trained. I had, a, I definitely had a, a little bit of a pride factor that I was proud of that. Like I could take myself to that level Yeah. and I can't quite get to that level now, but just thinking about this and our conversation, there was always that thing in my head that said, don't be average. Don't be like everybody else. You're better than that. Yeah. And, um, it's funny. It's funny. You said that I, uh, I had that same thing in my head. I used to be, I know I knew I was never the strongest guy, but I knew no one could outlast. And people would come train with me here and there, like other guys. But oh, okay, do you mind if I work out? I would try and bury them. <laughs> I would, literally, I'm like, this is going to be you're going to. And I would make people tap. I would make guys like, you know, there's one of them was a pro right now. He turned pro a little while ago in classic physique. He came to train legs. He tapped like three quarters of the way through. He's like, I'm done, man. I've, I've had enough. <laughs> and uh, it's it's almost more it's almost more more fulfilling than just outlifting somebody with weight. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. watching, watching somebody actually just tap out and be like, I yeah. can't, I can't do anymore. It's, it, it's a really good feeling for me anyway. I don't know if that's a, I well, I never got any satisfaction out of being strong in other people. You're exactly right. I mean, I, my partner, James and I, I've trained with this, this, uh, the same guy since 1998. Um, James and I used to do that to people. And we had this big kid. His name was Christian. He came in real cocky dude. He came in to train with us one time mm. and we put him on the leg press. And I remember James and I, we were like, no, we're going to go first because you've got to match what we do. <laughs> and I remember we were up to 900 on the leg press. Yeah. And I remember thinking I could probably do 15 of these. Yeah. And so James and I look at each other and I said, what do you think is impossible? Like, what is it? What, what's throw a number out that there's no way we can do it. He goes, 40. There's nothing. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we're doing a set of 40. Yeah. So I do my 40. James does his 40. The other dude, I don't know what he got to, but he didn't get to 40. Um, he kept trying. He would do a rep and he'd rack it. Then he would do two reps and he would rack it. This was a big kid. He was 300 pounds. Yeah. So um, he gets done with a set. And he passed out. He racks it, and he's laying on a leg press, and he just passes out. And so James and I look at him. We're like, hey, dude, he's out. He's literally out. He's unconscious. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I'm not sure how that works physiologically. So James and I just kind of laughed and we went into the room to do our leg curls. Um, that was back when we did leg curls last. So yeah. we're there, we do all of our leg curls and he comes stumbling in there and he goes, what happened? You passed out. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's funny. Yeah, no, I, you know what it seems like, and that was always the one I would test people with too. It was always the leg press, sometimes the hack squat, but it was always the leg press because most people, most people never do more than eight to 10 reps on legs because they like to load the thing up and they'll do like eight reps and they'll walk away. And I always, always do sets of 20. So I would have like yeah. 13 or 14 plates on the thing doing sets of 20. And no one, that's when guy, that's actually when that kid tapped was we were on the leg press. He's like, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> and I think you actually tried to test me when I came to train with you because we were doing sets of 30. And I'm not used to, I think the first time you did sets of 20, which was no big deal for me. And I think you realized that <laughs> the next time I came back, you were like, Oh, we're doing 30. I'm like, okay, he's trying to bury my ass. I'm going to do 30. So, I know the leg press seems to be the, uh, the truth teller. It just, just kind of sets the men apart, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've been on for a little while. I, I, I wanted to hit some X's and O's with, with you because Sure. I'm sure people wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, various things, but I don't want to keep you on. Do you have 15 minutes, 10 minutes? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Okay. So let's touch on a couple quick things. I want to just do some quick hitters, short answers, and that way people can get some Q and A out of you. Uh, cardio. I get this question all the time and I, and I love your answer on it. So I'm going to, I want you to respond to people. What is the best form of cardio? And what is the best time of day to do cardio? Well, I mean, okay. So first of all, I look at cardio as nothing more than something to burn calories. It's not magical. And in fact, if you look at your total energy expenditure, you know, you've got four things to make that up. Your, your, metab your basal metabolic rate, um, the thermic effect of food, right? So how much calorie burn you have from eating carbs or protein, um, your, um, neat, that's the non-exercise stuff. That's, so that's just walking around, fidgeting and all that stuff. Yeah. And then actual exercise and, um, probably about 70% of it is just your basal metabolic rate. Probably only 5% of it or so is the thermic effect of food. So there's 75%, um, probably 15% maybe you could probably argue this is neat. It's yeah. just keeping active and probably only 10% of it's actual exercise. Yep. So cardio itself isn't some kind of miracle solution. It's just a way to burn calories, but it is a way to burn calories. Um, now the problem arises is, is when you add in cardio and then in your dieting, you're so tired, then you no longer move anymore. So that, that neat part of the equation, you're not burning calories because now all you're doing is sitting around. And I know because I've done this myself. So then the Cardio isn't as effective because now you're not as active. You've lowered one and increased the other. Yeah. But cardio to me is it's, it's just a tool to, to increase your energy expenditure to get you in a deficit so you can burn body fat. And, you know, people have all these debates about fasted or not fasted. I like to drink some aminos when I do it, but that's just because they taste good and it gives me a little liquid. Yeah. I can't imagine eating a meal and then doing cardio. Like I just can't imagine – having a meal and doing cardio it just wouldn't feel good to me yeah, I'd, yeah. Rather, 
I'd rather just get up and do cardio and drink some electrolytes and some aminos personally. Yep. Um, but then, you know, the way I look at the, the hit and the uh, steady state stuff is you could do either. They both don't burn calories. You just have to understand that the hit stuff is more like a real workout. It's more like an actual, like you're training with weights, the style. Yeah. So it's going to impact your recovery. So if you're deep into the prep and your recovery is taking a hit, then you've got to be really careful with hit because it's compromising recovery. And if it's keeping you from training hard in the gym, your physique is going to suffer. If someone's going to do hit cardio, Hey, that's fantastic. Go for it. But do it when you're early in the diet, when you have energy yeah. and then as, as, as you, as your deficit gets bigger and bigger, the cortisol levels are up. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's all kinds of stress ease back, man. Then just do the list cardio. Then just go out. And what I like to do is I like to walk outside. I like to feel the fresh air. I like to mentally get myself uh, motivated for the day. Think about the day. Um, just start the day with something really positive. And then the other thing you could do when you go out in the sun, sun in the morning, you're actually cementing your circadian rhythms. So by doing that, you actually help yourself sleep at night. But anyways, I like to just get outside, man, just walk fast at a good pace feel the cool air in the morning, but, um, that so, answer? so yeah, so I just want one more part of that. It doesn't matter if I'm doing the step mill, the elliptical, the treadmill, it doesn't matter. Right. It's just about heart rate. Um, I think you've got to be careful. Some of those exercises will burn some muscle. I, I feel like they flatten muscle. I shouldn't say burn muscle. I should say flatten muscle. If you're on a machine and you feel your quads burning, yeah. then you've went into a different energy system and oh, you're in your, why don't you, you know, why don't you tell, why don't you tell me that sooner? I've been burning my quads away every morning. Dude, you're <laughs> one of the few people that I've ever let do the step mill. You're you one serious? of the few people. Yes. You're yeah. probably one of, you're probably one of maybe 10 people in my career. I've let do the step mill. I wonder how much better my quads would be if I stopped doing the step mill. I don't see your quads don't really waste away though. I could, there's some people that I could show you their quads waste away big time. Your, your quads actually stay really good, man. I know, but imagine how much bigger they would be if I didn't do the step mill. <laughs> hey man, only one way to find out. <laughs> yeah. Next time we won't do it. Um, okay. Another quick hitter. Uh, what is an, what is an upper lower level? Like what is an average dose you would say? of test for a top amateur or a pro if you don't mind divulging that information um i think um the highest i ever went was 750 migs um i remember the first time i took tests i was in college i didn't have much money so i got six ampules of uh salsanon remember the ready jacks from mexico yep the ones that came in the 18 gauge cannon that, <laughs> yeah. that um, put, a hole, put a hole in your shoulder yeah <laughs> well I, um, I got six of them and I took one every 10 days. Um, and I blew up Yeah, from 250 megs every 10 days. I yeah. blew up. See, can I, wait, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you. I just, I just want to tell people, cause you're going to say 750 megs and people are going to say that's bullshit, but they don't realize that it's not all gear is equal. Like you're talking about something back in the day. That was very different than what we were seeing now. Yeah, I think so. I think now, uh, like, I don't follow the underground. I don't know what's good or bad, but I can, but there was a trend that started many years ago where those undergrounds would make something really good. And then when everybody loved it, they would start underdosing it so they yeah. could make more money. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I kind of, I got out of that scene many, many years ago, but you know, I do think the difference in the quality is, is it's tremendously different now, um, from yeah. what it used to be. You know, we used to take these old, the strongest thing I ever took in my life was those old anadrols uh, made by Syntex. They had, <laughs> um, they had a 2902 stamp on them. We yeah. didn't call them anadrol. We called them 2902s. Yeah, hey yeah. man, you got any of those 2902s? 50 meg tabs. You take one of those and you would wake up with a pump. Like I remember taking them at night and I remember waking up with a pump like two or three days into taking them. Yeah. And now you got guys, particularly the power lifters that are taking two to 300 megs a day of anadrol. And I'm yeah. just like, is it's that not, real? Anadrol? It's not I mean, real. No, there's no way. I, I can't even comprehend taking like four or five of those 2902s. Like I can't even comprehend it. Like yeah. I got to the point where I could only do 10 day, 10 day cycles with it. Yeah. Um, because your lower back gets so tight. I know. I remember when I very first started bodybuilding, I think things were still pretty good. And I remember that was like the first time I took Anadrol. And that's the first tear I ever got because I was stiff like deadlifting four plates. And that was only my first year of bodybuilding. So I don't know where all that strength came from. It had to have been that Anadrol. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. And then there was a period where and I think this is part of the underground scene you're talking about where all the Anadrol did was make me watery and ruin my appetite. Yeah. I never got the strength gains from it that I got previously. And I don't know what they did to it or whatever, but I, I never took Anadrol again after that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, huh. it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think 750 megs is a great dose. I think, I think, um, you know, people take a gram, you know, whatever. I know a lot of the guys now take two or three. I think that's a little excessive, but hey, man, to each their own. I don't know anybody taking two or three. I don't. I, and I don't know, maybe, obviously, you have more exposure to it. Um, most of the guys I know live in the 1250 to 1500 yeah. range. It seems to be the sweet spot for for most guys. I don't, I think there was a period of my career where there was like a, I did a kind of a trial period where I tried to go up to two yeah, and all it did was make me watery and give me more acne. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't beneficial. And I came back down, I actually noticed better results. So I live in that 1250 to 1500 range myself. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the most common. I would agree with you. Yeah. The higher doses than that, that's, those are outliers. I didn't, I didn't want to make that sound like that's normal. That's, um, yeah. I, I would, I would say the thousand to 1500 is what I would, um, consider price standard. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to give people some real information because you know, there's a whole bunch of, there's Facebook groups and there's YouTube videos and these guys are out there saying that we're 3000 and 4,000. And I'm like, okay, I don't know where these numbers are coming from, but some kid's going to try this and it's not going to end up well. No. So I'm just no. trying to put out some real information for people, but um, okay, let's touch on food because food is extremely important. One of the things I love about you coaching me is that, and you do somewhat of an, if it fits your macros system, I don't know if that's only with me, but I don't mean it the way it's generally taken. I mean it, you do it in a way like you don't, you seem not to care if I want to eat cream of rice or if I want to eat oatmeal or if right. I want to eat egg whites or if I want to eat fish, as long as it's within the bodybuilding foods that we've chosen. Sure. Yep. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that because people seem to be really stuck on what's better, oatmeal or cream of rice. So what's better, potatoes or rice? Or it, so maybe you can discuss a little bit about that and why you have such a 
kind of a free way of thinking with it? Well, okay. So like if someone were to say, John, you have six ounces of chicken on here. Do you mind if I do six ounces of turkey? My answer is always going to be as long as the macros are really close. I could care less. Yeah. Same thing with oatmeal, with cream of rice, whatever. What happens is you find that some foods work better for you at certain times. Um, like, for example, you may be eating a lot of oats, and then all of a sudden you start getting a little bloated from it. It doesn't feel right. So you might say, hey, do you mind if I switch to cream of rice? It digests better. Absolutely. Switch it. Go to cream of rice. Or you might say, the cream of rice, man, I burn right through it. Do you mind if I eat some oatmeal so I'm a little more – uh, so I'm a little more satiated. So I feel a little fuller. Absolutely. Just put a little, little, you know, maybe a little bit of fat, um, or I'm sorry, just account for the little bit of fat that's in the oatmeal, um, which isn't much. It's only a couple grams, but try to match your macros. Yeah. I don't see a problem switching out all these foods at all. As long as they're nutritious foods, um, I would never tell you, you know, okay, yeah, you can, you can skip all your oats and your potatoes and all that. And, and you can just eat Twizzlers like Michael Lockett's <laughs> the only guy that can do that. <laughs> Michael, um, Michael Lockett can get away with anything. Oh, I love Michael. He's an awesome dude. But yeah. as, as long as um, people are, as long as guys are, and ladies are just using good common sense, I don't see any problem with foods at all. In fact, I kind of like the variety. Yeah. Um, but they do have to be on the ball with the macros. Like you can't. But you're you talking. But you're talking from a select group, right? Like we're not talking I about. Am. I so am. You you would say like, you know, the standard bodybuilding foods that are in a prep, like oatmeal, cream of rice, potatoes, rice, sweet potato. Those are generally your carbs, right? You're not talking yeah. about. You're not talking about white pasta and like all this other shit, right? Um, I mean, even pasta, I don't even really have a problem with. But then, um, you, but not pasta sauce. I, I mean, I, I would. I didn't know I could eat pasta and pasta sauce during my diet. We I get a feeling you're trying to really switch your diet up here on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I actually put pasta in a lot of people's diets. Um, okay, uh, I, let me ask I you. Was, yeah, go ahead. How do you? What did you think when you realized I was eating four tablespoons of ketchup with every meal during my prep? Um, that's a lot of carbs, <laughs> but you know what shocked me the most about you huh. is when we were at that seminar in Canada and you told me how much equal you put in your coffee. Don't tell people that, man. I'm going to get, listen, I'm going to get bombarded with DMS from people telling me that I'm going to have cancer tomorrow or some shit. <laughs> because, <laughs> all right. I eat a lot of sweetener. We're going to, we're going to divulge it now. Cause John let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. I use a lot of Splenda. Or Splenda, yeah. Splenda in my coffee. I have like two or three depending on how big the coffee is. Oh, no. You said more than that. No. What you're remembering is the amount for the day because <laughs> I, put, I put three or four packets in my cream of rice. So if I eat like three cream of rice meals, it's like 12. <laughs> That's 12 packets for the day. And then if I have a couple coffees, now I'm at like now I'm at like 16 packets for the day, right? So Oh boy. Yeah. Listen, I'm not I've never claimed to be the Evan Senapani of bodybuilding. I'm not, I just try, <laughs> I love food, man. I'm a a fat kid at heart and I try and get through this shit the best way I know how and it's not always the healthiest. I wouldn't advise anybody to eat 
15 packets of Splenda a day, but <laughs> it happens sometimes when I'm dieting, man. Like the ketchup yeah. and the Splenda and the shit, it gets me through. Like I know, I know. I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as you're not getting a, like a reaction, you know, like aspartame and give people yeah. headaches. And yeah, um, I, I put Splenda in my coffee. I put Splenda on my white rice sometimes. Sometimes I even put Splenda on red meat. It gives it like this glaze. No, That's disgusting. Yeah. Well, when you try it, you won't tell me that. Now okay. I'm going to have you up to 30 packets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be putting Splenda on my fucking steak now. All right. Let's go one more question and we're going to, we'll wrap it up. I just want people to know, because I guarantee you, nobody knows this about you uh, based on your demeanor and your personality. John is a car guy. And uh, when I met John, tell, tell these guys some of the cars you've owned, especially the last two. Well, I have a, uh, an AMG C63 right now. Um, rocket, before rocket that, ship. what's that? That's a rocket ship. It yeah. is a rocket ship, man. Yeah. It's a fun, fun car, man. It's and really And before fun. that, what did you have? Before that, I had an AMG E63. Also, an even, even more of a rocket ship. Yeah. And then, um, before that, I had... Um, you, also had a big, you also had a big-ass Hummer. I had a H2 Hummer. I yeah. had a navy blue convertible Corvette. Did you really? I never saw the Corvette. That was um, back in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Um, uh, what else have I had? You know what's funny? You're not an ego centric person and you're not like a showy person. What's, a, what's, what's the deal with the cars? Because I, I would never pick you for a car guy. I think I got spoiled by just having one nice one. Like the first three cars I got were all $500. Um, <laughs> yeah, but mine, mine were like that too. Like my first car cost a dollar. My dad, it was, a, it was $1. It was like a friend of mine's dad wanted to get it off his property. And my dad lent me and I had to pay him back. It was, he lent me $1,000 to get the transmission fixed. And like my first three cars were like that kind of story. Yeah. But I well, still... But I still never pictured you because of your because of your personality. You don't seem like a E sixty three kind of guy. Yeah, that surprises people. So okay, I'm going to teach you something else about me. This this is my the Iron Sheik, by the way. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'm going to teach you something else about me. I used to build car stereos when no. I was in college, and I used to be really good at it. Um, sound systems, and yeah. I had a five hundred dollar Chevy Cavalier station wagon. Holy that shit. I built out with 412s and Hyphonic subs and a yeah, yeah, Sony yeah. XEC 1000 electronic crossover and Rockford Fosgate this and blah, 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 all that. I, I had I all to, that shit. Yeah, I, dude, I, I used to be so into that, man. Yeah, yeah. But you used, um, to, build it, but you used to build it yourself. I built it myself. I knew how to do ported enclosures, sealed enclosures. Holy shit. I used to know how to build all that stuff. I'd go to the wood place and get the particle board and get the yeah, yeah, silicone. Put the, and put the gray carpet on top of it. Put the carpet on it. Yeah, yeah, dude, I used to do all that. I um, and I was so I was getting exposed to really nice vehicles, and I didn't have the money to have a nice vehicle, so I got an old vehicle and I just put a crazy sound system in it. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the guy at the light with the bumper that was rattling. Yes, that was annoying everybody around you. Yes, that was me. <laughs> that was me too. <laughs> yes. So, yes. so that's where the car thing comes from. You were always around them, so you had to get one. Yeah. Then I got like an Infinity. Uh, I can't even remember what it was called. A G something, and I, I really liked it. But I always did like Corvettes. 
And I got to one point where uh, Mary and I were living really far below our means. We had plenty of extra money. So I just, I got a Corvette and um, I really liked it, but it rode really rough. Yeah, they are rough. It it beat me up. Yeah. And then um, I was always thinking, man, I love those Hummer H2. So this was back when, remember when the gas prices were really, really high? Yep. The none of these car lots could get they could none of them could sell their Hummers. I know because yeah. nobody wanted to. So I was driving down the road here in Columbus, and I was driving and I saw a navy blue Hummer, which was exactly what I wanted—a navy yeah. blue Hummer with tinted windows. It was exactly what I wanted. So I pulled in, and he had thirty-nine thousand on it. Yeah, and I looked at it, and he said, "I said, how long has this been on the lot?" He goes probably been here almost a year now and I knew that they couldn't sell Hummers so yeah. I said you know give me your best price and I'll think about it and he said he pulls out his paper and he goes 29,000 I was like what you <laughs> take 10,000 off yeah I said well, let me drive around the block so I drove around the block I came back wrote him a check said I'll take it that was it uh, and then when I had the Hummer, hey, th- those things, the turning radius on those things is insane. <laughs> like you can well, turn. It's like driving a yacht, man. But you can do a U-turn on a little street. It's amazing how those things can turn. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's a good radius. It's a great radius. It's amazing. Oh, I, would, I would have expected it to be like turning a boat. Oh, no. It was it was easier to turn that around than the Corvette in a street, for really? sure. Not even close. Yeah. Cool. And, and and then I traded that in because it was starting to have some problems. And I, yeah. I started getting into Mercedes and I had the, um, uh, I think it was called an E300 or an E350. Mm-hmm. Um, really comfortable. The most yeah. comfortable car I've ever rode in ever. Yep. Uh, not really fast or anything, but just straight comfort. Yeah. And I was always wanting the E63, which was, you know, probably a little bit out of my price range. And so this all goes back to, to you, actually. This is all your fault. <laughs> this is my fault. <laughs> this is your fault. Okay. So I said, um, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, if I place it to Arnold Classic, I'm going to get an E63. So, oh my um, God. I think I remember that. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get an E63 if I place it to Arnold. So I don't, I don't place. And the guy calls me and he's like, did you place? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, should you have? And I was like, yeah, I should have placed. <laughs> that's good enough, right? <laughs> I said, that's good enough. So <laughs> I went in and got it. Um, after the Arnold Classic, I went in yeah. and got it. So, Well, that's good. that's good, man. I love that car, actually. Um, anyway, some interesting facts. But I want to have you on again, John. I, I don't want to keep you any longer. So it's, honestly, it's been like, at least an hour and a half, but um, I want to have you on again because I'm sure the people listening are, I'm sure some of them are a little upset we didn't do more X's and O's stuff, but this podcast is more about, I think it's more about just getting to know the people that are on. Yeah. So we can do more X's and O's stuff at a different date, but I wanted to kind of give people, those who don't know you, who's not very many, but those who don't know you now will know you a little bit better. So I, uh, I really appreciate you giving me the time and uh, having a discussion with me, man. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to, a message you want to give to people or uh, any addresses they should know or anything you want to plug kind of before we sign off? 
Um, I mean, you know, I've got the website, mountaindogdiet.com, and I've got my YouTube and Instagram, which is mountaindog1. Um, I have a membership part of my website where I've got 10 years worth of information on it. The international seminars I've done are on that. And I mean, it's 20 bucks for a month with no. Those are, all that stuff's on your website? Not, not on all the, the not seminars. On the membership. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, there's a ton of information on there. Um, I have no idea. The, some of the Swiss seminars are on there. Yeah. Um, and it's not just me. There's stuff from me. There's stuff from Serrano. There's stuff from all kinds of people. Scott Stevenson's got a bunch of stuff on there. Yeah. It's a massive collection of information and it's like 20 bucks for a month. And you don't, I mean, when people sign up, they're amazed at what's on there, but you don't have to keep it going if you don't want to. I can't imagine you getting through all the information in a month, but yeah, um, I don't think that's even possible. But um, yeah, I mean, if people take a look at that, that's um, part of how, part of how I make my living and obviously check out Granite Supplements. I would appreciate that. And that's it. Okay. Um, until next time, I will have you on again. Hopefully we'll do some more X's and O's stuff, but I appreciate you coming on, John, and, uh, we'll see you again soon. All right. Very good. Thank you, John. Yes, sir.